like Paul says, I'm talking on together this morning. And I just want to encourage you. Um, last year, I did a message on unity. And I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that if you weren't in. And Paul did a message, a series on one another. In. Was it last year or the year before? The year before. Can I encourage you? Go back and listen to those messages. Because I'm not going to go over the things that I said at that point. I want to talk to you about just some different ideas about together. Because I think you could probably spend years talking about together and one another in. Um, so I've just picked a few key things out, and I know that there's so much more to say, so I'd encourage you to go back and listen to those messages if you weren't here or if you'd like to listen to them again. And like Paul says, this is part of our vision and just outworking that and understanding it in greater detail. And the sentence that we put with the word together is we love, serve, and support one another in personal and corporate growth. And um, that's what I want to try and base what I'm saying on this morning. And like I say, I'm only just scratching at the surface of this this morning. Um, but I don't know about you, and I think I've said this before, sometimes it's just easier to do it yourself, isn't it? Anybody ever think that? It's just, it's just easier to do it yourself. I used to work in a primary school with children with special educational needs. And sometimes it was like I just wanted to answer the maths question for them. Because I knew the journey of getting them to the answer would probably take about three lessons. And it was painful for everybody involved. And sometimes it's just easier to do it yourself. But actually, it didn't help with personal or corporate growth if I did that. And I knew in my job that actually if I did that, it might help me. But it wasn't going to help them in the long term. Yesterday, for those of you who follow us on social media, we were proud parents and Olivia took part in a competition with her trumpet. And um, we went to this thing in Stafford and there was um, a group of other children participating. You sort of went into a room and as parents you went and watched. And these children, one at a time, got up and played their instrument piece. And there was adjudicators there and they sort of gave a bit of feedback. And this lad got up first. He was 15 years old. My daughter's 10. He was 15 years old and he looked like a musician. Seriously, he'd got a dicky bow on, he'd got, he'd got like a, a waistcoat on, he had epic hair. And now me and Paul were like, <laughs> he's a musician. And then he gets his flute out and off he goes. And I was like, my daughter's on grade two, he's on grade six. Oh, and I'm looking across the room at Olivia because they've made the people taking part sit in a different place. And she was like this. And then next, this girl gets up with, with a violin, and I apologize, I'm really not a violin fan. But wow, this girl could play. I mean, when I worked in school, it was like, oh, the violins are coming out, because that's just what it sounds like to me. But off she went, and the, the accompanist was accompanying, and I was just like, oh, my word. And then this other girl got up with a clarinet, and she made one of them clarinet noises. And I thought, oh, thank you, God. Never mind the poor child and the trauma she went through to get to the end of the piece. I was just thinking of my own child. And then it was Olivia's turn. And at this point, my stomach was in my mouth. I felt my face go bright red and all my neck. And I was thinking, it would be easier if I was doing this. <laughs> Olivia, get down and just let me do it. It would sound like hell on earth. I probably wouldn't get a sound out of it, but it would have been easier to do it myself. But to do it together with her was painful. To do it together with her and support her in it, I was like, ah. It was hard work. But you know, if we just do everything on our own, 
we do everything by ourselves, it doesn't help with personal or corporate growth. And sometimes it is so much easier to do it on your own because it's just easier than to try and explain to somebody. Sometimes it is easier to do it on your own because it's just painful being there and championing them through their difficulties. But it doesn't help with personal and corporate growth. So doing things together is so important and is so key. But you know what? I think we have as a society an issue with togetherism. That's not even a word, I've just made it up. But doing things communally or doing things corporately as a society, we have an issue with. And I'll explain why. And you know, this isn't something to do with just now. You look back and you look back at sort of at the end of World War II and you begin to see individualism coming out. And I'll explain a little bit more what I mean. But it isn't just a new thing. It's something that is cycled throughout history. It cycles throughout cultures. It cycles throughout areas across the world. It isn't a new thing. It isn't something that's just come about because of the mobile phone and the World Wide Web and the washing machine and the TV, which we would like to blame individualism on, where we do something on our own and we aren't really bothered about doing things communally. Does that make sense? It's not just to do with all of this technology. It's something that is cycled throughout history. I get excited about this sort of thing. Sorry if you're bored. But individualism is basically this. The individ where the individual desire outweighs the group. So my individual desire for what I want and what I want to do with my life outweighs all of you. Outweighs all of what you want to do, outweighs all of what my family want to do, outweighs all of what my group of friends want to do. My individual desire outweighs all of that. And I would find my identity within myself and I would be the hero of myself. That is individualism. And it's come about, you've seen it come about in the Western world since World War II. And you see it so much more. And some of you are probably sitting there going, yeah, I can see that. Some of you are thinking, I don't know what you're on about. That's okay, just... Think about your dinner while I'm just going over this and then join back in in a minute. So what, if, if individualism is this thing, then there's also this other thing called communalism. You can call it lots of things, which is basically things like institutions, communal help. It's the submission of the individual to the greater good, either of a family of a group, of the country, which you saw a lot of in World War II, we need you to support the country, where the group outweighs the individual desire. It is for the greater good. It's called a rational transaction in the film Flash Gordon. One life for millions. Where the weight of the one is not as important for the benefit of the group. And this... Within this, you find your identity in the group by the duty that you perform to the group. And the hero in this isn't yourself. You become the hero by self-sacrifice and doing things for others. So on one side, we've got individualism where people are like, I'm going to do this for myself. And then on the other side, we've got communalism where everything is for the greater good of the group. And you know, both have the positives and their negatives. 
Neither one of them is wrong or right. They've both got positive and ne negatives. But both of them, excuse me, I'm just eating my hair. But both of them create idols. They either create an idol of the individual. I am more important than anything else in this world. Or they create the idol of the group or the family. So this family is the be all and end all. This group or this political group or this social group is the be all and end all above and beyond everything else. And they become idols in our lives. You know, and both can breed freedom because if you've been brought up within communalism where a family has squashed you and molded you or a community or a culture has squashed you and molded you and forced you to be a part of that, individualism can be so freeing where you think, I can, I can choose, I can do what I would like to do. Whereas sometimes with individualism, it can just be, so isolating and such a lonely place and a place where, well, what am I actually doing for anyone else? And so communalism actually can be freeing in itself and being a part of something and belonging to something, moving you away from that isolation. So both have the positives and the negatives, can you see? And you know, here we stand in the middle as Christians thinking, shall we, shall we go for the individualism? Shall we go for the communalism? Because obviously there's a community of us. Ooh, what do we do? And we try and fit Christianity into both of those things. And we try and fit both of those things into Christianity. And then you wonder why we're confused. We try and make the things that society says, these are things how we operate. We try and make them fit into, into Christianity and, and make it work so it's attractive to other people instead of doing what Christianity tells us to do. And what's that? Put Jesus first. Because when we put Jesus first, it does something different. And you know... Together is actually outworked in two ways. Together is outworked like this. It's outworked individually because you've got to hold yourself together. There's got to be a togetherness of yourself where, where you, you've, Paul said, where you find peace with yourself. You are together with yourself. You are at one with yourself. You are together with yourself and there's a wholeness. But togetherness is also a communal thing where we are together in one body, the Bible talks about. That we, you know, we don't say to the hand or the foot, you're not good enough. But we're together and we support one another and we love one another. You know, if we look at it like that and look at togetherness in these different ways, there's actually a bigger picture of Jesus in this and there's a bigger picture of Jesus above and beyond what society paints as different models for living our lives. Matthew 22 verse 37 to 39 says this and this is one of our purpose scriptures as a church. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor 
as yourself. What do we see in this? We see that first, we love God. We put Jesus first. Jesus is first in our togetherness. He's first in our togetherness as individuals, but he's first in our togetherness corporately. If we put Jesus first, then second, what's next? Love your neighbor as yourself. We put Jesus first. It actually brings togetherness with our neighbors and to ourselves as individuals. So if you think, it's hard work. My life is difficult. I feel at odds with myself sometimes. I feel at odds with other people at times. I feel at odds with the church at times. I don't always agree with people. I don't always agree with myself. I feel quite schizophrenic in myself some days. One day I think one thing, the next day I think something different, and the day after that I don't know what I think, and I'm a mush on the floor. But even in and through that, that scripture tells us, and it's the bedrock of it, if we put Jesus first, then together as an individual and as a group, he's with us. It is the answer to it. If he is first in our lives, then we will grow and be shaped towards him. If other things are first in our lives, then we will grow towards them. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you've got things in your life that you are putting before Jesus, then you will grow towards them and be shaped like them in your life. But if we put Jesus first, then we will grow towards him and be shaped like him in our lives. And it helps us with our togetherness, with our togetherness as a person, with our togetherness together. You know, and if there are other things that are first in our lives and we're growing towards them and we're shaped like them, that's a scary principle. That scares me to think that there are other things in my life, even if they're not bad things, that actually I'm growing towards them and shaped like them instead of growing towards Jesus and being shaped like Jesus. Ask yourself, what is first in my life? What are the idols in my life? What are the things that I'm drawn to again and again and again that are pulling me? What are the things I can't let go of? What are the things that I dream about and hope for and believe for? What's first in your life? And I believe that if we put Jesus first then our togetherness is sorted. Because we don't have to worry about individualism. We don't have to worry about communalism because Jesus is first. The second thing I want to say to you this morning is this. And Paul talked about this um, when he looked at Jesus-centered. And I'm going to use the same scripture, but I want to just say a few things to you first. The second thing I want to say is all things are held together. You know, I look back on my life, and I'm sure many of you will do the same. I look back to when I was a child, and when I was a young person, when I was um, a young adult, as a wife and as a mum, and as, as I am now. And 
I look back and there were times and I think I fell apart at that moment. At that moment, in that situation, I can look back at myself and say, yeah, I fell apart. That was a mess. I was all over the place. I was just... But I look back now and I think, actually, I wouldn't have missed that. Because the strength that I've gained from it and the experience that I've gained from it and the knowledge that I've gained from it and the fact that I can now help others because of it is much greater than how much I felt when I was falling apart. And at the time, don't get me wrong, I didn't want to be there. I would have given anything to be out of those circumstances and situations at different points in my life. I'm sure you can all resonate. There's been a time in your life when you think, I wish that would never happen. But then now I can look back and I think, yeah, I do wish that had never happened. But in some ways, I'm glad it did because it's made me who I am and it's taught me so much more. Colossians 1 verses 15 to 23. It says, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Jesus first. Jesus first. You know, those two verses, Jesus first. That's what it talks about. Jesus was first. If he was first with everything God made and did, think about it. If he was first, if he was there at the beginning and he was first with everything that God made in Genesis and everything God did, surely we need to learn from that little bit of wisdom from God and put him first in everything we do and everything we create and everything we look to be. Jesus first. Put Jesus first. Verse 17, let's carry on. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. In him, all things hold together. I'm going to come back to that verse. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of, the, of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you to Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. You know, Paul's telling us that Jesus, Jesus has done everything first before us. He's paved a way for you. He's paved a way for us in our togetherness. When we feel it's difficult and hard, he's already done it. He's already made that way for us to help us. Let's go back to verse 56, sorry, 17. Try again. Verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things held together. You know, I read this verse, it's probably over 12 months ago, it just stuck out to me. And I suddenly realized, you know, as an individual person, how many times do we say, oh, I'm falling apart, I'm broken, I'm in bits, 
and in pieces. All of those things that we say, all of those things that we say when things are tough and things are difficult, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So when you're in pieces, in him, all things hold together. When you're in bits, in him, all things hold together. When you're falling apart and breaking at the seams, in him, all things hold together. So as an individual, when everything is going peat-tong and falling apart, and you think, I'm never going to recover from this, I'm in bits on the floor, remember, in him, all things hold together. And if you are in him, then you are held together. If you're not in him this morning, you're thinking, I want to get in with this. Come and speak to us after and we'll introduce you to Jesus so that when everything falls apart in him, he will hold you together. You know, and communally we just fall apart as well, don't we? We disagree, we quarrel, we're in disunity with one another, we have a different opinions, and we fall out and we don't get along and we think, oh, I don't want to go and spend time with those people. And we just think it's so much better sometimes to be on my own. But in him, all things hold together. So when we don't agree, in him, all things hold together. When our opinions are different, in him, all things hold together. When we quarrel and are in disunity, in him, all things hold together. So in him, we are together. Whether we agree or not, whether in unity or not, in him, we're held together. So actually, we are in unity. We're in unity in him. And we hold together when we put him first. Because when we stand in this camp and say, it's all about me, we're not standing in him. And when we stand in this camp and say, it's all about family, it's all about community, it's all about together, then we're not putting him first. We've got to put him first and then he will deal with the togetherness of the individual and the togetherness of the group. When we put him first, in him, all things, there you go. In him, all things, this is just dead basic, I do apologize, but it just blew my head off. So if we know that we should put him first, and if we know that when we do, it changes our lives, if we know that in him all things are held together, whether it's an individual person or whether a corporate group of people together, that in him we're held together, then this also must be true that we are unshakable together. You know, things in life comes to try and bring disunity and to try and uproot us. Tries to uproot us as an individual person and pull us out and say that we shouldn't be a part of something or say that we shouldn't have God in our lives and pull us out from where we are so we don't know where we are. Paul talked about being rooted in him last week. You know, and you can't grow if we're uprooted. We can't be together and held in place if we're uprooted. We can't be in Jesus if we're uprooted from him. You've got to let those roots go down deep to help with the togetherness, to help with being in Jesus, to help with growth. Originally, we said we love, serve, and support one another in personal and corporate growth. That's about togetherness. So if, if we're Jesus-centered, 
if we're rooted, if we're together, then it helps with our growth. Do you see? I've just got a little journey that I want to take you on with a few scriptures about being unshakable together. And you know, sometimes life comes at us and shakes us about and throws us around and it can be difficult. We see other people going through things and it's, it's not easy. But let's just see what, what the Bible can teach us about it. I'm going to read to you from Luke 22, verses 31 and 32. And this is where Jesus is talking to Peter, one of his disciples. And he's just talking about what's going to come. Peter's also called Simon, for those of you wondering why it's saying Simon, not Peter. Verse 31, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you, all of you as wheat. But I have prepared for you, Simon, I've, sorry, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And, what you have, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. It may seem a strange thing to share. But for those of you who know the story of Job in the Old Testament, there's a book in the Old Testament, and it's about a man called Job. And it sets the scene in heaven where God is there with his angels, and Satan comes in, and, and God says, what have you been up to? And he basically says, I've just been having a roam around, looking what's going on on the earth. And God says, have you checked out Job? He's a great man. He does everything right. And Satan says, yeah, well, you look after him. Give him to me and let's see if he'll still praise you. And in the same way, listen to what Jesus says to Simon Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you. Satan asked to sift us. Don't, don't think it doesn't happen. We see it in Job. We see it in the New Testament. There's an enemy out there who wants to sift you and shake you in your life to see if your faith is true and sure. And what does it do? It comes and brings fear and it brings doubt and it brings distrust when we're shaken. It brings something so we begin to turn on each other. So that togetherness is gone. Because listen to what Jesus says. He says, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus calls us that when the shaking comes and the sifting comes, that we should come back and then strengthen one another and encourage one another and say, we're here with you together. So when someone else gets their shaking, we can stand by them like those trees Paul talked about and say, I'll protect you while your shaking's going on. I'll pray for you while your shaking's going on. I'll be here. There's not a lot I can do, but I'm here next to you while your shaking is going on. But instead, when we don't put Jesus first, when we put ourselves first, or we put our family first, or just a group or whatever first, then we don't have Jesus first. And when we don't have Jesus first in the shaking, distrust comes, fear comes, and doubt comes. And we turn our backs, and that's when people leave church. You know, this last week, I don't know what my children have been doing, but they're like, they're living in lost property. Because they're just losing everything. It's like I'm going to start super gluing things to them. But Grace, the other week, she was going to a friend's house after school. She took a bag of clothes to get changed into, as they do, when she got to a friend's house. And she'd got her favorite jumper in there and her favorite shoes. As a good mother, I didn't think that was a bad idea. 
I've learnt my lesson. Take your old clothes. At 3.30, I got a phone call from my daughter, who was not very happy at all. I've lost my bag. It's gone. I don't know where it is. I've got my jumping into my favorite shoes. It's gone. She perhaps wasn't that upset. That was me. I was like, oh, my word. I'm like, have you checked here? Have you been here? Have you done this? Have you done this? Yes, I've been everywhere. I've been looking for it since lunchtime. And you know, she'd got a club after school with a friend and then she was going to a friend's house. I said, look, I said, she said, the teachers know they were doing everything that they could. I said, I'll bring you a spare bag of clothes up and I'm sure we'll find it. So I made her a spare bag of clothes and I drove up to the high school. And as I drove up, all the children from the high school were coming out of high school. And at this point something happened to me. And I was like, have they got her bag? Have they? I, I wasn't watching the road. Have they got her bag? Oh, is that, no, that's not it. Ooh, watch where I'm driving. Have they got every single child? There must have been like 300 children walking down from Moorside. And I was like, and I was ready. I was armed to pull my car over and knock him if I needed to and jump out and rugby tackle him to the floor and say, that's my daughter's bag. Because I was convinced that some child had stolen it. Turns out it was in one of the teacher's rooms where she thought she was going to leave it in the first place. And they'd been looking after it for her that we didn't find out until about three days later. But what did it do? It bred in me fear and doubt and distrust because I didn't put Jesus first in it. I put myself first and thought, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix all these children as they walk down as well, but I'm going to fix it. We're not unshakable if we don't put Jesus first because things creep in and do something to us. But when Jesus is first, then we're held together by him. We're held together with one another and we are unshakable together. And you know, you look at the story of Peter and he grew stronger after the shaking and he was equipped to help and strengthen others after the shaking. And we know this when we read in the book that Peter wrote himself in 1 Peter 5 verses 8 to 10. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, someone to shake. Resist him. Stand firm in faith. If you're standing firm, you're not being shaken. You're standing firm. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. When you stay in him, when the shaking comes, when you put him first, when the shaking comes then he will make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Peter knew what it was like to be shaken, but he also knew the importance to help others to then grow because of it. Jesus said it himself, strengthen your brothers. Can I encourage you? Let's strengthen and encourage one another when shaking comes, when difficulty comes. Don't just look at people and think, oh, I'm glad it's them and not me. But strengthen them, encourage them, be there. Encourage them to put Jesus first. Remind them that they're held together in him. You know, when we just 
this is one of the questions that's gone out to small groups for this particular um, part of the, the vision. And it's this, why is togetherness so important as we look to love, serve and support one another? I believe the answer's below in Ecclesiastes. It says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labour. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. And how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord with three strands is not quickly broken. You know, that scripture talks about how important it is to have other people around you in difficult times, in shaking times, when it's hard. It's so important to be part of a small group, to be part of a team, to come along to church because sometimes you just feel like being on your own because you just feel like on your own. But if you move away from that individualism and put Jesus first, then he reminds you, come into the body of Christ. Let me love you and encourage you through other people. Let me support you through the other people that are there. But the last part of that says, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You know, united strength is stronger. That's the motto for this city. And we are great together. But when we have Jesus in the mix, that three-stranded cord of me, you, and Jesus is so much stronger. I just want to read to you from Psalm 16 as I close. Lord, I have chosen you alone as my inheritance. Jesus alone. Jesus first. You are my prize, my pleasure, and my portion. I leave my destiny and its timing in your hands. Your pleasant path leads me to pleasant places. I'm overwhelmed by the privileges that come with following you. Jesus first. This is what happens when Jesus is first. For you have given me the best. The way you counsel and correct me makes me praise you more. For your whispers in the night give me wisdom. Show me what to do next. Listen to it. Because you are close to me and always available, my confidence will never be shaken. For I experience your wraparound presence every moment. My heart and soul explode with joy, full of glory. Even my body will rest confident and secure. So no matter where you're at as an individual, no matter where you're at in groups of things and in your family and within church, know that if you put Jesus first and you allow him first in your life, if you keep him close, then he will always be available to you that we can be unshakable together in him when we remind each other, when we support each other, when we spur one another on to love and good works as we grow. When we let his presence surround us, then we were never alone. And I want to encourage you this morning, if the band want to come and join me, we're going to sing a song now about we will not be shaken, that together... We're unshakable together. 
And this morning, if you're feeling like you're falling apart, like we talked about earlier, and you feel like you're in bits and everything's going wrong, then come back together to that first love of Jesus. Come back to putting Jesus first. And together, let us support one another and encourage one another and know that we can be unshakable together.